Hey everyone, welcome back to the Last Word on Sens podcast. And joining me today, making his return to the podcast, is the one and only Trevor Shackles. Uh, you know him from Silver Seven Sens as well, host of the Cost Per Point cast. Uh, Trevor, thank you so much for joining me. Uh, welcome back to the podcast. How's it going today? Good, Alex. Yeah, thanks for having me on. It's always a pleasure. Yeah, no problem. Uh, obviously, we've got a, a bunch to talk about with the Ottawa Senators offseason here. Um, I was just telling you before we started recording that uh, the Murray trade we got up to last time, but everything else from that is new, uh, including, you know, a trade that went down a couple of days later from the Matt Murray trade. And that would be um, uh, them moving on uh, somewhat surprisingly, I would say. Uh, from Phil Gustafson, and they bring in Cam Talbot. The trade is one for one uh, with the – actually, no, sorry. They gave up a draft pick, too, didn't they? No, um, no, it was just one for one. Oh, yeah, it was one for one. Okay. Uh, with the Minnesota Wild, um, so Forrest for, – not Forsberg. I got to stop that. Forsberg stays, um, but Gustafson goes out and Talbot comes in. Uh, Talbot's got one year left on his deal at about $3.6 million off the top of my head. Uh, $3.66 million. So 35-year-old comes in. It's definitely a little more stability in the net. Um, but how, how did you feel about this trade? Yeah, it was an, an interesting one. Uh, you know, I saw that, um, you know, the initial news came out that they were acquiring Talbot. And I thought, oh, maybe they're getting him for a pick, uh, a couple of picks or something like that. And I think Minnesota has the higher upside in this just because, you know, we were – all hoping and expecting that Gustafson could be, you know, maybe at least like a, like a one B type guy. Uh, and he also has the, the age, but you're right that this definitely gives them a lot more stability, especially for this coming season. Like I don't think Talbot is, is going to be a long-term answer. Obviously he's 35 years old and he's only got one year left on his deal, but I mean, Gustafson, I, I don't know. He had a pretty bad season last year and yeah, I guess he was better in the AHL, but, I'm not necessarily as confident as I was a year ago in him. And now you have Forsberg and Talbot who I wouldn't necessarily be confident that either one of them is like a starter, especially if they want to make playoffs, like for a playoff team. But when you have both of them, that's, that's two solid options. Like I kind of put them in the same mold as, you know, a guy like James Reimer, who maybe Reimer from a few years ago, who, you know, is sort of in that one B caliber, tier where you're you know he's not going to be a hellebuck he's not going to be Shesterkin or Vasilevsky and whatever but as long as one of those guys can be reliable for certain stretches of of time then then they should be okay and I think you know honestly as long as both of them can put up like nine ten save percentages like around league average I think they're going to be much better uh, in terms of goaltending in terms of defense so yeah, I think it, it's just, it kind of stabilizes it for this year, maybe a, a bit lower upside, but I'm happy with the move. And, um, you know, I wouldn't be surprised if Gustafson does better in Minnesota, but at the same time, you know, he, he wasn't going to have much trade value and they were going to risk losing him on waivers if they had to send him down next year to Belleville. So I think it's a good move by Dorian. Yeah, I, I like it. I think they're doing um, what I think most teams that if you can't find an elite number one goaltender should do. And obviously that's pretty hard to come across, even the one that's reliable. You know, you look at Calgary, it's not like Jacob Markstrom's been super reliable every single year they've had him. And, yeah. and that's even a guy I think they would trust more than 
22 other teams in the league, right? Like that's just, it's hard to find. So if you can't find that elite stable goaltending, which, you know, a lot of teams aren't give yourself as many chances with guys that are going to have a good save percentage. And, and I think, you know, bringing in a guy like Talbot definitely raises that floor, which is what Ottawa needs with a guy like Forsberg. It's their other goalie who we saw have, you know, a, a decently high ceiling where he was a nine fifteen goalie for, for a lot of the year. And we shouldn't really expect that to repeat, at least not for an entire season, you know, but again, if you have two guys where now if Forsberg only needs to be a nine twelve goalie on average or a nine ten or whatever, because you can get Talbot to go play 35, 40 games at another nine ten range, suddenly your goaltending throughout the whole year is just looking a lot more stable than it is where, you know, if you had to play, I don't know, Gustafson might have been okay this year, but there's also a chance you throw Gustafson in, Gustafson in and he just wasn't ready and suddenly you have a black hole because you got your backup who you want to play 35 games in a tandem pick situation and he's giving you a 902 goaltending or whatever. So I, I definitely think it's a smart bet by Dorian. As you said, it's clearly not a long-term fix and I'll be interested to see what they kind of think that long-term fix is because obviously four stories got three years. And so I would like to think that they probably envision one of their young guys taking that role from Forsberg by the end of the three years. That being said, this is a team that's given Condon three years, you know, um, they've given all kinds of goalies three years. So it might've just been, they wanted to keep the price down. They gave them three years. So we'll, we'll see if they, they feel that they do have an internal fix in goaltending or if it's something that they, you know, they're going to have to try and patchwork every summer. Yeah, you know, I think they probably have a guy like Matt Sogard as as their top guy that can replace him. Um, over the years, we've seen, you know, Marcus Hogberg and, and Joey Decord either leave or just, you know, not be as, as good as, as they'd hoped. And Sogard and, and Kevin Mandelays would certainly be the next two guys coming up um, through the ranks. And I, I guess I would probably be highest on Sogard, although even him, like, who knows what, what he's going to be. And then further down the line, you have Levy Marilinen, who probably wouldn't be ready for, you know, maybe like three years or so. So it's, I, I don't know. I'm not super confident any of them will necessarily work out, but yeah, it seems like they have a few years to, to figure things out. There's always stop gaps available like they did with, with Talbot and, and Forsberg. It's cert- they certainly seem like more stop gaps than, than anything. And, and that's fine for now. Yeah, exactly. Like I'd, I'd rather them take this approach and get a new guy every single year if they need to, than commit yourself five years to yeah someone who just isn't reliable, you know, like even the Jack Campbell contract that was handed out this summer by Edmonton, like, I can't for sure say that Jack Campbell is going to be a five million dollar goalie for five straight years. Like I just I don't know. You know, goaltending so random, and mm-hmm. I'm okay with them just trying to you know find their wins here and there with different players. So um, you know, with Cam Talbot, if it's by trade, that's fine. I, again, I like Gustafson, and as you said, I do think his numbers will be better in Minnesota. But Minnesota's had a habit of propping up uh, you know goaltenders at times and making their life a little easier. So I, I think Gustafson will will definitely fit in well enough there and be a backup to a guy like Fleury, who's obviously going to be able to help him out too. Absolutely. Yeah. Um, all right. The next move we can tackle is a uh, free agent signing. I, the, I think it's safe to say the biggest free agent signing probably in the team's history in terms of just a guy that wasn't on their team before and they managed to convince to come. Um, maybe I'm missing one from like the earlier mid two thousands, but I think it's, it's pretty fair to say if this is not it. It's right up there in the top three. Claude Giroux signs with the Ottawa Senators. 
Uh, there had been rumors of it for a couple months of, hey, maybe he'd want to come back here. Who knows? And and but you know, it always kind of felt a little far fetched. Where you know, Drew's still he hasn't won the cup. He's thirty four. Um, you know, like yes, he's made a lot of money, but uh, it kind of feels like he'd still want to be on a competitive team. Well, Ottawa made out, went out this summer and made sure that they are a competitive team that Drew bring them to. Three years, $6.5 million. He does have a full new move clause. Um, I, I love this. I can't believe that they only had to give him three years in turn and they kept the AAV down to $6.5 million. I thought one of those were going to be significantly higher. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I was, I was hoping all along that it would be three years. I think that's perfect. I think one or two would have been too short and three is right in that sweet spot and yeah six and a half is pretty low i was also expecting you know maybe they would have to pay just over seven or something i don't think it was ever going to get to eight just because of his age like i think you because i think his previous contract he was making like 8.2 or maybe 8.5 or something so um yeah like we knew it was going to come down but still super exciting and you're mentioning earlier that you know probably the biggest free agent signing the only one that could compare is is dominic hashik in you know four but I mean, even that, that was a one-year deal. And I think he was, yeah, I think he was 40 at the time. And he was still incredible for the team. And, you know, <laughs> I hate bringing this up, but, you know, they could, it could have potentially won the cup if he didn't get injured at the Olympics. Um, but yeah, Giroux, certainly in the same caliber. And yeah, it's just nice to see a guy. Now, I, I wouldn't call this like, I mean, it is a top free agent signing. I wouldn't put it in the same category as like, you know, Johnny Gaudreau, who <laughs> somehow signed in Columbus just because Giroux is 34 and, and isn't going to be as good as he has been in the past. But still, this is still a top six forward, a guy who should be putting up 60 plus points on the team. And it's exactly what they need, right? They needed that even, I mean, to bring it completely changes how this team looks, but so does Giroux, right? Now you have six legitimate top six forwards and guys who, like, I don't even know who will be the prototypical prototypical second line because both lines can really be first lines. And that's the mark of a good team, right? Where you have guys who can easily play on the first line and they're on your second line, right? So Giroux, you know, he he can be playing with uh, Stutzla. He can be playing with Norris. He can, you can put him on the power play. And this is a guy that is local. He wants to be here, can be a leader. And, you know, they haven't really had veteran guys who are actually <laughs> that great right you know you had to bring in Braden Coburn and Eric Goodbranson and, and all these kind of guys who are a bit washed up and sure they might have had some good leadership skills but they weren't necessarily adding much to the team so the fact that you can add a guy who I would say used to be a star and now he's just still a really solid player like even if he isn't amazing by that third year I think you're going to be definitely getting solid production this season and I think still a good player no matter what in the second and third so it's just really exciting and it's crazy that I think maybe in like December or January we were sort of talking about it as as a possibility I don't think anyone really thought it was going to happen but you know like the last couple days leading up to up to free agency it seemed like a shoe-in and that's crazy because you know, you look at Ottawa's previous off seasons over the last 15 years and you never expect them to sign anyone big. You know, you look at Gonchar and Kovalev, those are like their two, two biggest signings before that. So um, it's, 
it's wild. And I don't think anyone is unhappy with that signing. No, like this is one of the most collectively well-received signings I think I've ever seen, especially for free agency where a lot of the deals, I mean, even the Johnny Goudreau deal where it gets handed out and it's like, Oh, it's good. You know, Columbus got them for cheaper than we were even expecting, but like, what does this do for Columbus? You know, I mean, in seven years or six years, is Johnny Gaudreau making 9.8 or whatever, what Columbus is really going to need that it's worth it for them now with the Giroux deal. Again, there's just no, the, the term isn't there for that to be a worry for the Ottawa Senators. Yeah. And, you know, maybe that third year will be a little more unfortunate, but as you said, they have so many just like actual top six guys, but especially they have six legit top line players now um, to the point where like, I would almost make an argument the most question mark about who's a top liner is probably like Brady Kachuk, which is pretty, pretty insane, you know, to even suggest. But yeah. you know, you have Batherson, um, you know, Norris is right on the fringe there, being a, a number one, maybe a number two center. Same with Stutzla. And, and you know, if everyone expects Stutzla to take another step forward, you know, he's definitely gonna be a first liner. And then obviously the Brinkett's a star. Jeru's a first liner. Um, you know, like they're just you go down the list and it's like, oh yeah, no, they are like really rich with uh wealth in here so um but yeah like it's just it's so well received and rightfully so like i just it's it's nice to finally change and and you know i think it's fair to say both you and i have been some of the first to um criticize dorian when he does stuff that absolutely does not make sense and mm-hmm. i would still point out there's rightfully been a, enough stuff that hasn't made sense over, over the years um but i'll go the other way too with that where you know you got to give him his props where it's due. This has been an insane offseason, and the legwork he put behind it, it sounds like a massive reason Drew was actually willing to sign. You know, the Sens, if they don't go out and get to Brinkett, and even a smaller trade like going and getting, um, you know, Cam Talbot in that just to try and solidify the position to get a little more confidence, you know, moves like that seem to kind of sway Drew as well, where maybe he would have signed without it, but going and getting or doing all those moves to say, hey, no, like we're serious about contending here and we're going to go, you know, sign our top, uh, our top centerman as well in a week of within Drew signing, um, you know, all those moves clearly sold him that this team is ready to take the next step. And um, again, you got to give some credit to Pierre Dorian because as we saw last off, last off season, it's really easy to talk and not back that up. Well, this summer they talked their talk and they absolutely backed it up with, just about everything you could ask them doing. Obviously, there's still one big move, and, and we'll get to that, and that's probably the right-handed D slot. But, um, you know, just about everything else has been as close to a grand slam as you can get, I think, for the Ottawa management team. Yeah, I think there's – it's not even close that this is the best offseason the franchise has had since, you know, since their creation, right? I mean, no other offseason has had this much impact. And, yeah, like you said – I mean, literally, I think in, in March, I wrote an article about how Dorian isn't the right guy for the job. And, you know, I, I acknowledge that he had, had done some good things, especially with the young players, but I didn't think he was ready to surround that, or I didn't think he was going to do a good enough job to surround the core. And immediately he's, he's done the opposite, right? Debrinket and Giroux are just such impactful players, especially Debrinket. I mean, I, that one, I just still can't get over, but so yeah, like, Absolutely. He's done a fantastic job so far. Uh, and yeah, I, I think even if he doesn't get that right shot D it's still the best off season uh, they've had. And, but at the same time, that that's very important. And I think, I think getting rid of Zaitsev is the first step. And then I think 
acquiring at least at least someone competent. It doesn't have to be a Chikrin or, uh, I mean, I guess if Uyghur is maybe available from Calgary, I don't know. Or um, who was the other name out there? I guess Klingberg, like one of those guys. It doesn't have to necessarily be one of them, although their options are, you know, getting smaller by the day. So if he's able to do that, then it's just, you know, all of a sudden this, this team is looking like a, a playoff certainty rather than, you know, a playoff bubble team, which even, even the fact that they're a playoff bubble team, that's still a really position, a really good position to be in right now. Yeah, for sure. And, you know, it's one of those things where with the right-handed D, I think the biggest thing they need to do is get off of Zaitsev or, and slash or Hamannick, to be completely honest, but for sure, you know, one of them, if not both. Um, and then it gets to the point where like, even if the upgrade comes internally, I'm getting to the point where I think I'd be okay if they wanted to take a chance on Lassie Thompson or JBD, you know, everything we've seen suggests they probably don't have overwhelming confidence that one or both of those guys can step up and be full-timers right now. But, you know, it's just getting to the point where I really like, they just, they cannot be playing both of them uh, in a meaningful role when the season rolls yeah. around, um, you know, some other, again, the, the it's really thin pickings, you know, like, the top name for salary that's out there right now is PK Subban on the right-handed side. Um, again, like he'd be maybe fine as a third option, a third pair guy, but I'd probably still just rather roll the dice with Alassie Thompson or JBD. Um, obviously Klingberg's out there. Uh, and then you have, you know, Anton Strawman, Chris Russell can play both sides. So um, if we're looking at purely UFAs, the pickings are definitely, you know, small. Jake Bean's another option. I know that's been floated around as, as you know, an RFA younger guy that maybe they could target. But yeah, when it comes to defense, it's like, hey, it's still, it is, you know, you, you don't want to sound too greedy where it's like you need to upgrade this. But if they want to be a legitimate playoff threat, they cannot walk into camp and actually think that Zaitsev and Hamannick are both going to be playing, yeah. you know, regular yeah. minutes and expect that's going to go well. It's just, it's not. And even, you know, like I have a lot of faith Sanderson will step in and be a good defenseman right away, but you know, you can't just make that assumption, especially if he's playing with one of those two for all of his minutes. So, you know, mm -hmm. maybe even the upgrade is just, you find a way off of Zaitsev or, you know, you, you bury him or whatever, or, you know, you just, you scratch them and Nick Holden comes in on the right side for a little bit. And then, you know, if Holden's not doing a good enough job, that's when one of JBD or Lassie Thompson come in. I don't know, but again, something's got to give because there's just, there's no chance you can go into the start of this year with both of them play. Yeah. And yeah. So I'd be worried if they, you know, the second pairing was like Holden and, and Zaitsev and then the third pairing was like Sanders and Hamnick, right? Like that's, that certainly would be, I mean, you'd have Shabbat and, and Zub on the top pairing or who knows, like maybe even they, it would be like Shabbat and Hamannick and then, you know, Holden, Zaitsev and, or well, Holden, Zub and Sanderson, Zaitsev. And, uh, you know, that certainly doesn't look good. Yeah. Like you were saying, if you get rid of Zaitsev, maybe put Brandstrom in there, you know, find a, another right shot D things are looking a lot better, but yeah, I, I just, I worry a bit that Zaitsev's still here just because I think DJ still likes him at least a bit. Although I think it is pretty clear though that Doran is trying to get rid of him. Just all the smoke and, you know, a guy like Bruce Garriock who is plugged in with the team and he seems to make it, he makes it seem like that is one of the high priorities and, you know, at least just moving his salary. 
Yeah, and again, like that that shouldn't really chalk anyone, I don't think. Like he's got two your two more years left where he makes nine million dollars over the two years, right? Like, and you know, and that includes he has a two million dollar signing bonus this year and a two million dollar signing bonus next year. So, you know, just logically, even if the money's not, you know, maybe quite as bad of a position as they have been. It makes sense that a you wouldn't want to pay this guy because he sucks anyways. But b you're spending a lot of money on other players too. So you know there's there's going to be some money coming out naturally as well, and that's a fit. So it'll just be interesting to see if they can find a dance partner for him and what that costs to really unload him. Because you know uh, at the same time with only a year and a half left, like they shouldn't be spending a first or anything like that to to unload him. I don't think uh, I would much rather see them just bury them in the minors if they really have to yeah. meet some of that contract. If it's, if the, the cost is so absorbent that they, you know, they can't get off of it. But, um, you know, I, I think it, it's clear that Dorian is not, uh, not done. He hasn't put down the phones or anything like that. So it's one of those situations where we'll have to wait and see. And if he does find a way out of it, you know, tip my hat to him, but um, you know, it, it's kind of one of the things where he has to, he's put himself in this position, the situation, you know, I think any, not anyone, but a lot of people, you know, I know myself and probably yourself included when they traded for that contract a couple of years ago when, Ooh, this is not a good idea. He's not only good, bad. Now this is going to be a bad contract when you're trying to be good again. And sure yeah. enough. Right. So, um, you know, at the same time of, even if he does a good job to get off of it, that's great. But you know, you only get so much credit for taking the bullet out that you shot in your own foot. So pretty um, much. Yeah. Yeah. That's kind of where I am with that. Um, Another move they made this uh, this past week or, you know, two weeks or so um, was one bringing back their centerman and Josh Norris. Uh, he gets a massive deal, um, you know, kind of shocking how large I was not expecting this, to be honest. I was kind of expecting a bridge to happen, but uh, they are committed to this core and it is eight years, seven point nine five million dollars, just just under eight million dollars per season. Uh, Josh Norris is back. He is here. He is locked in. Um, I know the reaction to a lot of nonsense fans was who is this and why is he getting almost eight by eight? Um, I think the reaction from a lot of sense fans were just happy that they locked down their number one center for almost eight years. Um, I kind of fall in the middle, but I, I'm curious to get your opinion on this too. Yeah. I mean, most of their core is getting locked up, right? I mean, you have Batherson, Kachuk, Shabbat, um, Norris now, hopefully you can get to bring it done. I mean, they can get that done as, as soon as today, if they'd like, um, he's, he's an RFA next summer. So, I mean, I guess in the future, they're going to have to be saving for Stutzloff for sure. Um, hopefully Sanderson is going to be good enough that he deserves a, a hefty raise. So, you know, th- those are some guys and I guess Pinto as well. Um, those are some guys that are going to need some raises soon. So I think I would have been looking at more of a bridge deal for Norris. But at the same time, I mean, this is a guy that was on pace for 40 goals. And I think, yeah, his his shooting percentage is going to go down. Like, he's not going to score that many power play goals. But I think even with the regression, this is minimum a, a 25 to 30 goal scorer. Uh, you know, he's been able to have these high shooting, shooting percentages in the AHL, in the NHL, like for multiple seasons now. So I, I don't think it's crazy to expect him to um, shoot, you know, north of, of 10%, even 15% at points. So it might be like a bit of a bit expensive right now. Although I would like to see what he can do in a full season. You know, if he's putting up 
70 points like you know if he's got like 30 goals 40 assists something like that or 35 and 35 and 35 absolutely he's worth that so it's it's definitely a bit risky especially because they will be having to to sign a guy like I'm sure Stutzla is going to be getting more I just expect a really big season from him so there is some risk there but again it's great to to lock up a member of the core especially as a guy who is like Brady's best friend essentially now that they're both locked up that's great and it just sort of it, it confirms that you know they're, they're ready to build around this core and that's great to see I mean who knows how long they'll be here just because they're signed that long doesn't mean they're going to stay but uh it's it's great to think about you know these these next sort of seven eight years as their as a real window and yeah I mean Norris is fantastic so he he deserves that money and uh super fun to watch on the power play and just scoring those one timer. So pretty happy with it overall. Just the fact that he's staying for so long. Yeah. I, uh, I had your boss on uh, Nate from silver seven cents last mm-hmm. week and, or last, two weeks ago. And we were discussing how a possible Norris uh, extension definitely carries some risk on it. And this was basically the reason why is, you know, he doesn't drive play particularly well so far in his career and he shot 20% last year, a lot of that being on the power play. But as you said, like I did the math this year, and even if he shot 14.5% is what I put it at, which I think is probably a reasonable average to assume he could be like his career average in three years right now is 18% shooting at the NHL. I don't yeah. think that that's like Stamkos level numbers. He was like yeah. the best shooter of a generation. I don't expect it to stay that high, but if he's hovering, you know, in that 14 and a half, 15% range, and you know, maybe he'll have a year where he's at 10. 12-ish, but, you know, he could absolutely have a year where he hits 20. You know, if he shot as much as he did last year, he would still be on pace for about, I think it was 29.8 goals or something like that at 14.5%. So if you're telling me the, you know, absolute just like median we're getting is a 30-goal scorer who, again, probably playing 65 points and playing well on your second line, I will take that for $7.95 million every day. And I will also take him just being on the team, even if it's at a million dollars more than maybe expected or whatever, then them trying to nickel and dine him, dine him for every cent for the next three years, just to trade him in three years. Cause they're like, ah, he didn't want to be here, which is kind of what it's felt yeah. like with every big player for the past six years. Right. So, you know, I, I'm just like, to me, him, even if it is slightly overpaid with some risk, which I, I definitely think it is fair to say there is risk, but I would much rather him on the team, even with some risk than him completely. Like, getting futures for Josh Norris in two years does nothing for this team. They need him to be on the team and be a weapon on that power play. And, you know, I I also think, you know, he's been pretty lucky in terms of playing. He's played a lot of his minutes with Kachuk and Batherson, but, you know, even on that power play, I think he's going to get more looks in terms of just more open shots because they're adding Giroux, who's such a good distributor with the puck, and they're adding Debrinkit, who, you know, can pass the puck really well, but is an absolute threat to shoot it too. So, you know, that power play one, and even power play two now is going to be so much more lethal because, you know, you can run something like Giroux, Stutzla, uh, Dabrinkit, um, Norris, and Kachuk on the net front with Shavars. Like, you have so many more options. Like, you have legitimately 10 players you feel comfortable playing on the power play. So even if it's power play one or two, you know, power play two is no longer going to be Connor Brown, um, Tyler Ennis, like Adam Goddett, like it was like, yeah, there was some yeah. ugly power play twos getting run out <laughs> last year to the point where it's like, this doesn't feel like a power play. Um, but like, it's just, it's going to open up so much more space where I think even, yeah, he's probably not, you shouldn't expect him to shoot 20%, but he could regress in shooting and his points might not 
dip that much because I think he is going to get more chance, uh, you know, moving the puck. And, and it's also just, I think with Stutzla emerging as a, a top centerman as well, I think it's going to give Norris a chance to really work on his game develop. And I'm not sold that he doesn't, you know, he doesn't need to be this insane play driver or anything like that. But if he even takes a slight step forward at it, and again, is a 30 goal guy, who, you know, can chip in with assists here. So he's 60, 65 point guy who just, you know, controls play to a good degree when he's on the ice. That is worth every penny of this contract all, all the way through because you've signed him all the way through his prime and that's all you can ask for. Absolutely. Yeah. No, he, and yeah, that's the thing too. He'll, he'll be signed till he's uh, 31. And yeah, now you have, I mean, Stressel's not locked up, but I think they should be able to. I don't think that should be an issue. Uh, and then you have him and him and Norris as a one-two punch down the middle. You know, that's fantastic. They haven't really had anything like, I mean, I guess the closest they had was Spets and Zibanejad, although they obviously moved on from Zibanejad. So, uh, yeah, hasn't been like that in a while. Yeah, for sure. Um, all right, then we got one, me and you were going through the, um, the preview here, and I knew I was forgetting something. Uh, Connor Brown got traded to the Washington yeah. <laughs> Capitals. Um Again, a move that kind of felt like it was going to happen. Just a lot of salary in this offseason. Didn't feel like they were going to keep Connor Brown and, uh, you know, be able to extend him. Sorry. And, and I don't think that's the worst play for what it's worth. I I don't think Connor Brown's really a guy that, you know, I, I know he, he was a great team player and everything like that. And he's honestly the perfect guy to have in a rebuild. But I, I think that's kind of the kind of guy you step away from when he turns 28 years old or so, which is, you know, what his contract's going to look like this year. Who knows? Um, so they traded the Washington Capitals for a second round pick in 2024. Um, good return. I think, you know, right about honestly higher than what I would even maybe give up as a GM, but I think kind of seems like what was expected given the market for them. Um, I'm a little surprised it was Washington. All lines pointed to be Edmonton for like the entire day. And then suddenly mm-hmm. Washington stepped in. Um, and again, I, I like the move in terms of, it just kind of felt like something they were, you know, bound to do I went to mind if they kept him for a year and ran him with some more depth but I, I think that he is a replaceable enough piece and especially once you bring in Giroux you know you have Addison Giroux on that right side as well um it'll be interesting to see what they do you know with the second round pick but also just the cap space if they can go out and be aggressive and aggressive and, and add more because you know they obviously are still looking for that defenseman uh, a lot of people are kind of linking that that second might be used to try and go lure a defenseman away from a team. Again, I don't know who that might be, um, but yeah, Connor Brown, I, I think the way I would sum up his Ottawa career is going to be largely forgettable, but useful nonetheless. Yeah, I think, I think Brown probably didn't get quite enough credit that he deserved just because he was, he was here for three years that, you know, a lot of people had forgotten. Right. So uh, he led all forwards amongst average ice time during those three seasons. And um, I think part of that is because DJ liked him a lot, but part of that is deserved, right? I mean, this is a guy who was able to kill penalties all the time and, you know, maybe not on a good team should be on a power play, but, you know, would sometimes get power play time. So, yeah, I mean, this, he, he even last year, I think people thought he wasn't really that great, but he was on, I believe he was like on a 50 plus point pace. So this is a guy that I think ideally maybe he's on your third line and he, and he could have been in Ottawa, but certainly like no issues really playing in the top six, maybe, uh, maybe like as like the sixth forward on uh, in someone's top six, but 
I was hoping maybe they could get like a second and a third or something, or maybe like two seconds or I don't know. Like, so like a, a second round pick was, was fine. And I certainly expect them to use that as an asset to maybe as a sweetener to get rid of Zaitsev or to uh, trade for a defenseman or something. It seems like that was the goal here. And I think in an ideal situation where there's no salary cap or no budget or whatever, you could have kept Brown on that third line, but it seems like they couldn't really, they couldn't really, you know, acquire to Giroux and Talbot and potentially a defenseman and keep that salary for Brown, whether that's the internal budget or, or even just the salary cap, um, because they're actually getting, you know, not that far off from, from, um, from the cap. So I think they kind of had to do that. I think maybe if he was making, you know, one and a half, which would have been very underpaid, then they could have kept him. But it's, uh, yeah, it, it's too bad that he, he can't be around for when they're hopefully going to actually be good. I think he's a guy that every playoff team is is going to be interested in. And I wouldn't be surprised if he, he if he does really well in Washington as well. They uh, they certainly needed some some help up front. So it's. Yeah, it'll, it'll be interesting to see what they do that what they use that pick for, whether it's defenseman or getting rid of a defenseman. I, I would be pretty surprised if they keep it just because, you know, we keep hearing about these other potential moves that could happen. Yeah. That could be the sweetener that goes along with the Zaitsev deal or something, if that's what it takes to move it. And I, I wouldn't be that disappointed to be honest. Like if yeah. you tell me that basically it's Connor Brown got attached for Zaitsev, I, I would like, that's like what time, the Leafs yeah. had to do. Right. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> so I, I, I think that'd be okay. Um, you know, I, I we got to get you out of here in a minute or two. Um, no, no, two, rush, things, no rush. <laughs> two things I want to hit on real quick. And one is, unfortunately, you know, not a good story at all, but it's the hockey Canada stuff. And, um, you know, it, it's not something I try to talk about too much on the podcast, but, you know, given two of the Ottawa Senators players were on the world junior team and are two of the six that still haven't come out and said anything, I, I think it is important to bring it to the surface. And, you know, there's been a, a lot of discussion and, I think it's, you know, both things can be true that it is not a good look that Drake Batherson and Alex Foreman did neither one of them have come out and denied anything. That being said, obviously not saying anything is not an admission of guilt either. And that is important to remember when, you know, looking at this case, it, you know, it's definitely important that we got to let all the details come out, but it's just, it's a very, un, just a bad situation regardless. You know, it's not something you ever want to see happen. So, um, you know, I, I felt like it was important to at least at least bring it up that, you know, I acknowledge that those two names are are linked out there. And, you know, it's it's not a good situation to be linked to at, at all. Mm-hmm. Yeah, no. And, and we don't we don't have to to rush through it necessarily. I mean, I think it's, it's an important thing to talk about. And it's I mean, obviously, this the story from the 2003 came, uh, team came out recently just last week. And it's. Honestly, it's it's disgusting. It's it's vile. It's it's showing how it's showing how Hockey Canada has just failed as an organization and honestly needs to just essentially start over, right? Like I don't I don't think any high ranking person in Hockey Canada should be with Hockey Canada ever again. It's, they need them fact, over, an yeah, the fact the fact that you know and rebrand it as whatever. Like I, I don't care. Like the fact that they had to even say, make a statement saying that we will not be using, you know, this money for, for hush funds is insane. The fact that, that, that is even a thing. So it's, it's very, I mean, there's two sort of 
sides to this. And like, there's, there's obviously like the, the side that <laughs> relates to senators fans and, you know, okay, how is this going to relate to the team, but on a, on a much bigger, and, and that is fair to talk about because, you know, we're fans and we want to know what's going on with the players. We want to know if we're, have been rooting for people who had committed sexual assault. So, but at the same time, I mean, you, you talk about the, the larger picture, which is much more important in terms of just life. And, you know, it's, it's these women who have been victims and um, it's not just these two incidents, right? Like it's, there's been so many stories that have either been told or untold and it's, it's sickening. It's, it's part of, sadly, it's part of hockey culture. And um, I don't think like, yeah, sure. This happens in other sports too. It's not like it's just hockey, but at the same time, I think people need to admit that there certainly is a toxic culture, um, especially with like, you know, junior teams and, and, and teams that sort of spend a lot of time together and, um, you know, with like hazing and, and stuff like that. And it's just, it's, it's tiresome that, you know, these conversations still need to be had. There's so, so far to go here. And I just, you know, my heart goes out to all these women who've been affected. It's, it's, it's just disgusting. Um, and, you know, as you mentioned with, with Batherson and Formington, like it's, I, I tweeted this last week, just that, you know, it doesn't look good for them. That doesn't mean I, I know they did it or I think they did it, but like, or, or were involved or whatever. But yeah, the fact that they haven't said anything that, that is worrisome that it, like, just in terms of like the on ice impact, like, and as I said, the off ice impact and, and, you know, how this affected so many people's lives is much more important than, than hockey, but we don't want to be <laughs> it, all things being equal. I would rather them not have been involved in this thing. Right. So it's, I, I just really. On ice or not, you want to know that you're cheering for good people, right? Yeah, exactly. Yeah, exactly. And like, at the end of the day, someone did it. So like, we, we know, we know that there, there were eight people. Um, so it's, it's not like, it's not like we'd be like, Oh, phew, it wasn't formation in Bathurst. Like it's all good. Like, obviously there's still massive implications there. So um, yeah, I mean, all things being equal, I hope it's not them, but at the same time, it's, it's not something, it's not going to be like celebrated if, if it's not them. So it's going to be, yeah, there, there's going to be a reckoning here with, with hockey Canada and, it just, it, I don't know. It, it's hard to put into words, right? It's just, it really it's not is. something you want to have to talk about. And it's just no, sad. It, it sucks, but it's a much needed reckoning too. Because yeah. for, for way too long, I mean, this, just the fact that it took until now for that story about 2003 to come out. It's just, yeah. you know, it, it's just, it, you know, unfortunately there's so many more stories like this that have been covered up over the years. And as you said, like hockey culture, especially junior hockey culture, as a horrible, horrible history uh, and just, you know, uh, hazing and all that that comes with it. It just, it has the reputation. And, and just because others also have the issue doesn't make it a good excuse for your organization or, you know, culture to have that issue in terms of hockey in general. So um, yeah, it's, it's just an absolutely sickening story, uh, a couple stories, um, you know, at the same time, it's one of those things that, it's super uncomfortable to talk about, but we need to talk about because, you know, if you don't, it just, it allows organizations like hockey Canada sweeping under the rug, like they've been doing for, for way too long. So. Well, and where would we be without Rick Westhead? I mean, this guy is just single-handedly taking down the establishment in terms of hockey culture, toxic culture, right? Like I, without yeah. him, none of this is happening. Him, him and Katie Strang are two, two of the yeah, absolute her two, best yeah. out there. Right. So um, yeah, it was something I felt important to bring up and just so, 
you know, we're not uh, uh, leaving on such a disappointing note. Obviously, it's it's hard to say with Formanton if, you know, this is actually holding up a contract talk as well. Um, yeah, I, wanted, I, I wanted to point out that the Sens have 11.6 right now in cap space. Uh, uh, Branchstrom, Formanton, and Matthew Joseph have all uh, are the three that need to be signed. Matthew Joseph did file for arbitration. Um, I don't know exactly what date that is, but it's got to be upcoming because they're all upcoming. I think it's um, like August 11th, maybe. Yeah, that's uh, that sounds right. So they have about another couple weeks to you know figure out a deal if they can. Um, real quick, let's go with uh, Branchstrom and Joseph just because those are the two that are uh, you know a little easier to talk about. What what's an ideal contract if you know you just had to say you know, they, they settled with this, um, you know, are you looking for a couple of years of term with a guy like Joseph or even branch Are you happy with just a one-year deal? That's pretty cheap. Is, is there anything specific you want on either of those guys? I mean, I'd be surprised if Branson gets more than a year. It seems like this is kind of his last shot and I'd, I'd be fine with that as well. And then I think with Joseph, I, I could maybe see a year as well. I would probably, I think two might be perfect kind of like bridge deal. Um, although I have to double check if he, I don't know if he would still be an RFA after that point or if he'd be UFA, but I think maybe like he hasn't really been much of a point producer until he is like 11 games in Ottawa. So I like realistically probably won't even make that much, maybe like a shade under 2 million or something. And I think that'd be totally fair. So I think, yeah, maybe two years, 1.75, 1.8, somewhere in there. I think that's more than fair for what he's given so far in his career. Yeah, I think if you can get him at that AAV, I, and he, I mean, I don't, again, I don't see him wanting to go super long term, but if you can get him at 1.7 or 1.8, if you can have a third year on there, I'd be honestly open to them doing it as well. Yeah, because, for sure. You know, it's just so cheap that I think the, the downside is so low and the upside is, is so high with that. So that's exactly, I think, kind of what I'm looking for too. As you said, I think this might be Branstrom's last year to really prove he has it. Um, I, I would be shocked if they do anything with a one-year deal, but you never know. Um, yeah, but I, I, I do want to see them give Branchum one last shot on that left side. Yep. Um, you know, especially because it looks like Holden will be the, the seventh guy who can slow it slide back and forth. So I, I do hope Branchum gets at least one more shot and, and we can see if it doesn't work out, it doesn't work out. But you know, this idea that he has to be a top four defenseman, I think we should be passed. If he's just a good third pair defenseman, I'm content with that. And, you know, you can pay him like that to, uh, accordingly. Right. So, mm-hmm. um, yeah, I think that's absolutely accurate. Uh, Trevor, thank you so much for joining me today, man. Uh, plug some stuff. Where can people find you and your work? Yeah. Well, um, we were talking about this earlier, just with the podcast. Um, I mean, you, you said that I'm the host of the cost podcast, which I mean, is true. Uh, although that the last episode was in May, that was episode hundred. Um, so, I mean, you can find old episodes if you'd like. And yeah, right at Silver Seven Cents. Um, I won't be writing there for the next few weeks. I'll be away actually in Switzerland, uh, leaving on Thursday. But yeah, you can follow me um, at Silver Seven or you can follow me on Twitter at ShaqTS. And yeah, those are the places you can find me. And um, thanks again for having me, Alex. It's always fun to talk hockey and just, uh, you know, lots to talk about this offseason. So it's been fun. Yeah, absolutely. There's been no shortage of content, which, you know, makes our, our jobs really easy and a lot of fun. And um, you know, enjoy the vacation and I'll have to have you down uh, back on along the road when there's uh, even more to talk about as the, the season gets back in full swing again here. Absolutely, man. Thanks. As always, huge thanks to Trevor for joining me. Uh, it's always a lot of fun having him on the podcast. I think this is the third time I've had him on. It's always great discussion. Um, so, yeah, thank you so much, uh, Trevor. I hope everyone enjoyed the t- today's podcast. Uh, 
As always, if there's any guests you want to hear, please let me know. I'm, I'm open to it, especially during the summer months here. We don't have a ton to talk about, and that wanted to bring me to just quickly what the next couple months of the podcast are going to look like. Um, I'm going to try and go every, I think, 14 days or so on average, uh, and just trying to get some more maybe conversation going about uh, philosophy in the NHL as a whole, and maybe not quite as much Sens-related stuff if there's not much news uh, over the month of August. But into September, we're going to be ramping up, and it's kind of hard to believe. It's literally only a month away as I record this is July 27th, and um, you know, we're already almost a month away basically from training camps opening up. So um, definitely going to have lots to talk about in the near future. Um, if you want to listen to more of me, uh, especially throughout the summer, while I'm not maybe doing every week with this podcast, it might be every two or three weeks, um, the M&M Hockey Podcast with my buddy Chase McCallum. Uh, we are doing that weekly and we're going to have stuff all the way through the summer. Um, starting next week, we're going to do our rankings list. So we're going to start with the top 20 centers in the league, uh, top 20 wingers, top 20 defensemen and goalies. Uh, that's always a lot of fun. Some of my favorite podcast to do throughout the year, to be honest. So that'll take up the month of August if you're trying to listen to that. Um, and yeah, you can find all my writing at lastwordonhockey.com. I'm trying to do a little more of that as well. I, I had a piece out this week um, doing a rumors piece, actually, on the Calgary Flames and their massive trade and what they're going to do with Huberdeau and uh, Uyghur. So um, thank you, everyone, so much for listening. And thank you all for the support. It means it means the world to me again. Um, if you are on Twitter, find me at NHL Sends and stuff or last word on Sends. Um, and, and don't feel shy to, to reach out and let me know what you think of um, you know what we said on the podcast this week. Do you agree, disagree? Um, I, I'd love to hear it. So thank you everyone so much for listening. I'll talk to you all next week.